This morning's scripture lesson will come from uh, the Gospel of Matthew, verses, um, let's see, verses 16, uh, chapter, chapter 28, verses 16 to the end of the chapter, chapter uh, verse 20. It's known as the Great Commission. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them, And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So, um, just getting notification of this sudden death that took place for Nick Clark on Wednesday night. Um, I just tried to put together something really quickly. So what I thought I would do is if you go back a few months when I preached on... um, the uh, commandments of Jesus. Uh, I thought I might just continue on that. And at that time, I thought even might even make that a bit of a, uh, a series as well. So I just decided that what I would do is just tack on two more of the commandments of Jesus to that prior um, sermon that I did earlier in the year. So looking back upon the text for today, um, it says, now the 11 went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them And here is where he gives them their final instructions for them, because this is the end of the chapter of Matthew. And he tells them what to do, what their mission is to be for the rest of their lives. And this is for them as he calls them his disciples. He doesn't call them necessarily his apostles, but he calls them his disciples. And he tells, tells them to go and make disciples of all nations. Well, through that process, we have been made disciples ourselves. So this is a message to us as well. This is our responsibility to do both as a church and as individuals is to support the work of making disciples in all nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, but then teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you And this says, behold, I'll be with you to the end of the age. So teaching them all that I have commanded you. So we started that series last time with thinking about what is it that Jesus has commanded us? I mean, the gospel is full of imperative statements that Jesus has made, commandments that he has. But, you know, we never really stop and look at these and say, um, as we read through, I think, the gospels, we just kind of pass by them and don't realize that these are actual commands to us, things that we are told by Jesus that we are to do once we become his children, once we are born again and have received the gifts that he's given us of a new heart and of a new mind and of a new spirit. Um, So continue on in that light. Um, If we remember, those of you who were here the last time I spoke, remember we talked about four commandments that Jesus gave us and um, 
if you remember, the first one we talked about was that, number one, you have to be born again. And number two, you have to repent and that you have to come to me, being Jesus, and also that you must believe in me. And so we quickly went through those and we talked about their importance and why these commandments are still in existence today. And I think it's pretty obvious to most believers, but I think sometimes for young believers and for if you're not really thinking of it all the time, these things need to be repeated so that people will remember these things. So today we're gonna to look at two more of these commandments. So this should be a short service. It won't, a short sermon it won't be as long as it was last time. Um, and I think these, these next two commandments are, are, are also equally as important as the first four that we talked about. So there's about 150 imperative statements or commands that Jesus has in the gospels. And of course, it would take us a very long time to go through all of them. So just picking out, I think, some of the most important ones is important for us to hear. And to think that, you know, we think of this, this, whole, this whole passage of the Great Commission as being a passage that describes the work of missions, and it does. But we think about it usually as like foreign missions or sending people out into the world into different countries and things like that. But the mission with our church starts right here in this building and the world is on the other side of the threshold here. And so we also have to think about what we do in our own personal lives, our own responsibility to keep the commandments of Jesus and to fulfill the Great Commission by telling and teaching others of it. And I think that's why we spend a great deal of time here with Sunday school and Bible studies and going through all the stuff that people need to hear. And if we repeat that, it's caught, you know, if you're a believer, obviously that's not going to be something that you're going to be dismayed at because you know that there's always other people that are with you that haven't heard it before. So it's always good to go over information and to learn about what Jesus has commanded us because he's commanded us to do that. So um, to begin with, the first one we'll look at today is, um, is Jesus' command to us to love him. Now, you would think that he wouldn't have to command that, that we would automatically, as his saved people, would know that we need to love him and to do that. But yet, he commands that to happen. And from... Um, John uh, 14, 15, if you remember the statement that we said last time, we'll say it again. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So love me. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Matthew 10, 37. Jesus makes this very profound statement, you know, and it really puts a, um, a quantifier, you know, a qualifier on the type of love that we are to offer to Jesus, that we just don't love him, but we need to love him more than the things of this world that we tend to love, which are our sons and daughters, our, our mothers and fathers, or husband or wife, or things like that. Anything that we offer to Jesus that is less than that kind of love is really idolatry because we're putting something ahead of him. And 
I, I wonder sometimes when we're going about our day, when we're living and thinking about Scripture, even things like that, are we thinking, are we loving Jesus that, that way, that greatly? And so, again, he brings this out in Matthew. And then he says, If God were your father, you would love me, John 8, 42. So he's talking here about the difference between believers and non-believers, because the non-believers, people who haven't been regenerated, people who have not been born again, people who have not received the blessings that God gives to his people, can't possibly understand how to love God, how to appreciate him, how to um, have any type of real relationship with him. And so they can't. As we move from that, because that's where we were, we were all unbelievers, we were all uh, haters of God before he saved us and gave us a new heart and gave us a new mind and gave us a relationship with him. And moving toward that uh, ultimate goal of worshiping him perfectly, I think we need to be reminded of that as well. So. From this, we see that Jesus commands our emotions. He demands that our feelings be strong with love toward him. He demands that we rejoice in other emotions. We, we rejoice at certain times. He demands that we fear the right person, that we not feel shame over him, and that we forgive from the heart. So we don't, as Presbyterians, usually think of ourselves as very emotional people in our worship. We think of uh, us mostly as being kind of staunch, but yet we should have these emotions. These emotions should be tied to our, our theology so that when we understand that things that Jesus has told us, we should have feeling for what we do. When we sing our hymns, we should be singing from the heart. When we, when we pray and we're giving thanksgiving, we should be truly thankful and giving our thanks. When we have supplications, we should be really serious about our request to Jesus. And we should feel that emotion, like the emotion that we feel today for our lost brother who was supposed to be in this pulpit this morning, and that was his plan. But God had other plans for him and suddenly took him away from us. And how we miss him not being here. But still we can rejoice because we know who he was. And we know that at this time, he is with the risen Savior. We feel the, this emotion of love for Jesus only because Jesus has given us this new heart and has removed our unbelieving heart of stone. So without him changing us, we can't possibly love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and all of our mind, and all of our strength. And... Um, Jesus' demand for love goes beyond these feelings that we might have for admiration for things like his attributes or enjoyment of his fellowship or attraction to his presence or affection for his kinship because all those things are part of being a Christian, but they're not. It's more than that when we love Jesus. He demands us to love us with everything, our full being. And he says that our love our love must exceed that love that we have for our mother and father, son and daughter, or husband and wife. And Jesus says that by our love, we will keep his commandments. Well, you know, that's what it says in the Great Commission, that we would teach others and teach people who, um, who Jesus has 
brought into the family um, all the things that he has commanded them, commanded the apostles, and now through the reading of their works, that has commanded to us. And so that, again, like I said before, is our job as Christians and our job as a church is to teach those things and to demonstrate those things in the way we live and how we act and how we make decisions. Jesus says um, that our love for him will keep his commands. He first, uh, we must first love him before he we was first loving before we can keep those commandments and do as he says. So we have to have that love for him and that out of this love that we have for our, our, our salvation, for all the gifts that he gives us, for all his love care for us, being a member of his family and having those things that are gifts from God that we will want to do whatever we can to honor him and we keep his commands as a result of that love itself is not commandment keeping but it is at the root of it so just because we love Jesus doesn't mean we meet the meeting of his commandments he has other things that he wants us to do and he has a place for us in this world to do this and he has gifted us with many well at least one gift and maybe two or three others that he's given us specifically to be used for his glory and to um, uh, up the, to build up his church. And we are to use those things and not to neglect that. Our love for Jesus springs from our new nature. We have a new heart and love like this is not possible in our old fallen nature. So if you have the new nature, you, you understand what I say that this new nature gives us a heart, a flesh, a heart that can love like we're supposed to. But if you're not there today, if you don't have that, um, that new heart, if God hasn't regenerated you and made you a new creature yet, then don't give up. Continue to come to church, continue to hear the word, because by hearing the word, often he does that. If he has a plan for you to be one of his children, He'll often do that under the preaching or the teaching of the word. Continue to listen. Continue to grow and wait for that day when he will regenerate you. Jesus says in, in John 8:42, If God were your father, you would love me. The reason you do not love me is that you are not in the family of God. You do not have the family nature, the family spirit, the family heart because God is not your father. And so we understand that, that when we have been regenerated and we have been put in this family called the church, that we are also adopted into the family of, of Jesus Christ, into God's family with Jesus as our elder brother. And we have all the benefits that are given to him are given to us as well. So Jesus came as God's divine son so that fallen sinners like us could become sons and daughters of God. And that is the greatest thing that can happen to us, that we can be made into God's family or put into God's family. And to all who believed in him, Jesus gave the right to become children of God, uh, John 1.12. As children of God, 
we ha now have the love for Jesus as God's son. And it's only through the gifts and the new birth and repentance and also the nature of a child of God that we are able to see the glory of Jesus' love for us. Um, let me turn a minute to Luke 7, uh, verses 36 to 47. Let me just do this quick reading. One of the Pharisees came to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house, and he took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman who was touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debt debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both of them. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to, them, said to him, You have judged rightly. The turning toward the woman, he said to, to Simon, You see this woman, I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. And she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Come, um, with her hair. You gave me no kiss, from, um, but from when the time I came in, she has uh, not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. So, um, in the seventh chapter, uh, Luke talks about this woman who loved much because she was forgiven much, and a Pharisee who loved little because he was forgiven little. Jesus gives us the eyes to see his beauty in the way that he has loved us first. We did not love him first. And in this, we taste the sweetness of Jesus' forgiving love for us. And this awakens us to the love for him. The love for Christ will produce the fruit of obedience to the commandments of Jesus. So we will be fruitful, we'll be able to fulfill the ministry he gives to us. It will produce a longing in us that Jesus will be honored and glorified. And Jesus deserves this kind of love from us because he is infinitely worthy to be loved. Our love for him is our enjoyment in his glory and his presence and his care for us. Jesus' demand that we love him is one more way that his love overflows on us. And now the second commandment we'll bring up today is his command 
listen to me. From Mark 7, 14. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. From Luke 8, 8. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And from Luke 8, 18. Take care then how you hear. Now, from, let me turn to Luke uh, ten thirty-eight. And read a quick passage here for you. As soon as I find it here. Now, when they were on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary who uh, sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to uh, serve alone? I tell you then to help, I tell I ask you then to tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So we see the life and work of Jesus is a great argument. And that argument is why should we listen to his word? The Gospels pile up reasons to turn off, uh, turn off the things of this world and to listen carefully and closely to Jesus. You should heed that advice. No one ever spoke like this man. And this was the answer that the guards gave to the Pharisees when they came back empty-handed after they were told to go and arrest Jesus and bring, them to, bring him to them. In the seventh chapter of John, Jesus' ministry was astounding. His adversaries wanted him out of the way, but when the guards went and they listened to Jesus, they could not possibly arrest him and do what they were commanded to do because no man ever spoke this way. Jesus speaks the very words of God. And after Jesus finished the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he taught as one who had authority. And this was not human authority, but authority and power, because they were the very words of God. And Jesus says that his words came from the Father who has sent him and commanded him what to say from John 14, 24. And when Jesus speaks, God speaks as he speaks from God the Father, as God the Son. Jesus' words silence supernatural powers. From Mark chapter 1, Jesus demands a demon to, come, uh, to be silent and come out of a man. The crowd was amazed, and what was this? A new teaching and with authority? Jesus' words healed leprosy. Deafness and blindness. His words brought life to the to a dead girl in Mark five, a dead man in Luke seven, and to his friend Lazarus in John eleven. 
But Jesus has the words of eternal life. And it's wonderful to be raised from the dead, but not so much if you're still going to perish in hell someday anyway. The most important reason to listen to the words of Jesus is that his words lead to eternal life. So once when Jesus was uh, finishing some hard sayings, most of his disciples walked away and no longer followed him. And so he asked the 12, do you want to leave as well? And Peter responded, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. So Peter recognizes the fact that only Jesus has these words. There is no other place to go. And if Jesus tells us that there are hard things that we must do or hard things we must hear, we must bear those things because we know that they are the truth. But we also know that Jesus has prepared a place in heaven for us to be with him. It is the spirit that gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life from John 6, 63. Everyone who wants eternal life should listen to the words of Jesus. Eternal life through believing Jesus and belief comes through the hearing of the word of God through Jesus. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. And Jesus can, then describes two kinds of listeners. Those that hear are of God, but those who do not hear are not of God. Hearers have a place for God's word in their heart, and they, um, and they are of the truth, and they are of God. Non-hearers have no place for that truth, and they do not have a place for God's word, and they are not of the truth, and they are not of God. All men are one way or the other. Unless God opens our eyes to see and our ears to hear, there will be no place in the words of Jesus. Jesus said in Luke 10, uh, 21 through 22. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for as was your gracious will, all things have been handed over to me by the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Father, or who the Father is, who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So it's only by the regeneration that comes from the grace of Jesus, the grace of God to save us, that we are able to actually do this or to do anything. And, lo and uh, this is the greatest gift of all. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. And that God the Father said this in the transfiguration. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Matthew 17, 3. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Matthew 13, 31. And these things I have spoken to you, so that your joy may be full. From John 5, 11. 
The words of Jesus are the words of life, and they are life to us, and they are the most important thing to listen to. And yet, we find the time that we spend listening to uh, words being preached or words being taught is a very minor point, uh, portion of the time that we spent listening to things on television or listening to conversations or other things of the world that have nothing to do with eternal life, nothing to do with our mission in this life. We pray, Lord, that we would become more like Jesus, that we would spend more time seeking these commandments that you have, that he has given us, and that we would learn to become more obedient to these commands and to try to fashion our life so that we can show others how to live for Jesus in this world. And all these things that we ask, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.